So I don't have a I don't have a really good way of introducing introducing this. I'm just gonna go shoot from the hip. I think it's recording good enough. It looks if you see the volume thing, it looks good. Um, and then and then I think what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna introduce this. This is the Enter VR podcast, and we're doing a special series or or. Within it, we're doing a special sort of thing where I'm talking about the state of the singularity and all things surrounding it. Um, and just like the NRVR podcast itself, it's going to be very tangential or tangential. We're going to go off on tangents, which is fine because we're going to bring it back around. But I think I've been listening to this like other podcast named uh, Dungey State, and I really like their style. And so what I want to do is I want to experiment, James Blaha. And so I, you're going to be Dungey, and I'm going to be the other dude, and I'm going to grill the shit out of you, like, with questions. Like, like that's what we're going to do. I'm going to grill you, and I'm going to throw every hardball question I got, and we're just going to see if you survive this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. I, I think um, kind of the, you know, Chris and I have been talking about doing this for a, for a long time, um, and something we've been when talking a lot about more and more and more uh, among people here in, in Silicon Valley and, and elsewhere is just that it's becoming apparent that something like the singularity is happening. And so this is sort of the first uh, of a regular series where we check in on the state of the singularity. And I, I think it's, it's not something that necessarily should be thought of as something that happens on one day or one year. Um, but it's something that has been happening. It, it's part of a trend uh, that goes back basically since the beginning of time and is continuing up to this point. And what makes it special now to us is that the speed at which it's moving with respect to the t lifetime, to human lifetime, is now so fast that we're seeing multiple doublings in progress in just a matter of years. All right. So, so for the uninitiated, let's 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 take baby steps into this because if you, maybe we should figure out just the fundamentals of the the con the core concepts. Like, what is the singularity? How do you define the singularity? First of all. So I think it's one of these terms that's not well defined. That means different things to different people. Um, and, and so some of the definitions that I that I sort of like. Um, actually, I, I've prepared a few a few quotes here. I, love to hear I, feel, that. I feel that people have uh, defined it a, a little bit better than, than what I have uh, or what I can do. Um, and so, basically, the the kind of primary idea is that the pace of change um, gets so fast that the rate of technological progress, cultural progress, scientific progress gets it's so fast because it's an exponential. It, the the progress that we um, that we make lets us go farther more quickly. The tools that we make, the ideas that we figure out, um, and so at a certain point, things just become very different. Basically, I, I think this is the idea that that at some point, uh, the way that humans have lived for the past you know, 100,000, 200,000 million years is fundamentally changing. And, and we've, we've already seen that. I mean, the way we live today is fundamentally different than the way people lived 100 years ago, even with cell phones 20 or 30 years ago. And the way we live in 10 years will be as different as it was 30 or 40 years ago. And, and then after, at that point, it'll be another five or another two, another one. And at some point, we just have this unimaginable rate of change that is, is just impossible to kind of see through from where we are now. I get, in, I get anxiety thinking about using a map to get somewhere. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where like I now would dread the idea of looking up something through a map. Um, and I think that over the years, as I get more and more spoiled and pampered by like Google services and things like that, I'm gonna like, it's gonna go from anxiety to like total fear. I'm gonna be really, really scared to be at, to be without like my smartphone or whatever equivalent I'll have later. I mean, on. we'll we'll be incapable of it we'll, at some point. Oh, slow down there. Slow down. You're going too fast now. So bring it, bring it the street back. Hold on. We're gonna go there now. Because now you know it's sort of uncomfortable to not have your phone, right? Yeah. Depend on it to navigate around the world. Yeah. You you are used to being plugged in to what's going on with your friends, your family, the greater world. Yeah. But you know. 
eventually these technologies won't just be in our pockets and our hands they'll you know be integrated with our bodies we'll, we'll, we'll not be able to or, or even be capable of turning them off so 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 what are the so you we're talking about progress right and we're, we're talking about like human uh, you know technological evolution of what we're making and so like what do you what are the obstacles to progress or more like if you could imagine progress as this sort of explosion, um, what is what is the thing that is the opposing force against this 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 explosion of 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 intelligence of progress? So I, I think there's a couple couple of kind of counter arguments against this idea that the singularity is inevitable. If if that's what you're asking, what, I'm more, what are things I'm more, that are, are slowing it down or preventing it or or, or it, so it might not happen? Where I'm, what I'm alluding to is like it seems to me that and and I and I take this from like a Sam Harris podcast. He was talking about like there's nothing in our physical universe that is stopping us from creating a machine that'll be a million times smarter than humans. There's nothing physical about yeah the, yeah. yeah right. If we take a look at physical limits. It looks like so. What I'm saying is, our limits there. knowledge is that basically what it is. Is that we're just waiting for someone to come about the knowledge or stumble upon the the right algorithms that will like ignite this. Is that what we're waiting for? Um, I think it's a combination of things. So so let, let's take a specific example. Mm -hmm. let, let's say um, we want to create technologies which let us reverse aging. Mm -hmm. Right, this kind of thing that's part of the progress that's leading towards the singularity. Yeah. So what do we need in order to do that? You know, um, we, we need all kinds of things from, from the simpler parts. You know, we need a stable society that has language where we can communicate ideas to each other, which will let us figure out how biology, our own biology works. You know, there's a set of physical problems with our bodies that need to be addressed in order to, to make it so we no longer physically age. Mm -hmm. And so the, the things we need to get to get there, you know, the tools in order to understand our bodies well enough, the tools in order to actually make the requisite changes, even understanding, like right, right now we have a, a basic idea of the things we need to address in the body to, to stop aging. Um, but they're nowhere near specific, specific enough to be actionable hmm. yet. And so it just takes money, time, and technology to, and manpower to, to address these problems. Um, and more and more and more people are working on it every day. Yeah. I mean, it went from having, it went from costing like $3 billion to decode the human genome to now it's like 3,000 or less. Right. So yeah, and that's that's moving. It's like a if you look at it, at it on a logarithmic graph, so a straight line on a logarithmic graph would yeah. be like a pure exponential trend. It's logarithmic on a logarithm, so it's like a double exponential. It's so, moving w faster than Moore's law moved. So the cost effectiveness of sequencing your genes, of so synthesizing the, ex the acceleration DNA. of the thing is actually accelerating. I, I don't know. Is that what you mean by the exponential? Or is like it's almost like. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in, in that in that case, some some of them are moving faster. So, with with sort of I guess to to give a give a, a quick overview of this when we're looking at a lot of of ex these exponential change graphs, um, which we can post up on the web. I have compiled a list of a bunch of different things. Nice. Um, and so some things are linear. So for every given unit time, there's a fixed amount of increase. Mm -hmm. um, so this is how we tend to think. We tend to expect things to be linear. Mm -hmm. If uh, you know, we think, okay, how much progress has there been in the last decade? Most people will expect about the same amount of progress will happen in the next decade, and then in the decade after that. Um, if it's exponential, it means for each unit of time, uh, the rate of change is increasing. So that it's accelerating. Um, and so, that uh, it seems like a lot of natural phenomenon work in that way. Unchecked population growth is exponential. Hmm. Um, if you look at population growth of humanity, um, you know that that's an exponential trend. Assuming the right circumstances, of course, right? Like you had to have right, like coming out of the last ice age bottleneck. Okay. Um, so I think it, not not sure ten tens of thousands of years ago. 
there were, I think, less than a thousand humans alive. Um, and then coming out of that, you know, the world got warmer. Uh, we figured out farming and language, and that those two things, and I think cooking was was the other big thing. Yeah. Um, that you know let us explode from from that bottleneck. No. That yeah, it's it's um so so I, I get exponential. I think I, I think it's good that we touched on exponential for a second. But like, um, in terms of you know building like something that is conscious, you know, something synthetically conscious, you know, and and I feel like before we even get there, I feel like we should discuss the like, different paths to the singularity, right? Like. And, and in many ways, the singularity, I define it, and maybe we should just, for the purposes of this, this podcast, we should define the singularity. Like we should say, I, like I, I want to say that it's the point at which computers start, you know, um, have the ability to improve on themselves. Like once they can improve on themselves, like down to their own code, mm-hmm. that's the singularity. I, I think that's, that's one way it could happen. I think that's a little narrow. Because there, there's other ways um, it could happen prior to that mm-hmm. um, that would be just as severe, I guess. Um, you know, if we figure out how to improve our own brains before we figure out how to write software that can improve itself, you know, right. maybe that would be the beginning. Um, it, it, it's not necessarily, uh, I guess. Maybe the more general way to say it would be the point at which an intelligence explosion uh, passes some arbitrary line. I guess. Oh, I, I, mean, I, I like that, yeah. Because I, I think one of the, the quotes I really like uh, from the CTO of D-Wave, they're making quantum computers, mm-hmm. he says, you know, if, if the singularity is going to happen, it's really been happening for a long time. This is, this is just a rate of change that keeps increasing. Um, and so it's hard to draw a line somewhere saying, you know, intelligence has been exploding, yeah. right? But you see the value in drawing lines because if you can say, if you can say, James, you can say, you know what, everybody, in 2018, we're going to cross this line, and you're going to want to pay attention to that date. Like, like the, my, 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 the reasoning for me, why you'd want to like. And maybe this is a flawed reasoning, but like, why do you want to like draw lines? Is more or less for marketing purposes, because you want this whole society as a whole, you want the species to be to pay attention to this. Well, right? yeah, if we want, if if we need some of the rules to change to make this transition in a way that's good for everyone, <laughs> that we need to be good about um, figuring out when certain dangerous or, or potentially dangerous things are going to happen and what we need to do in advance to make those transitions less dangerous. So, so the one, you know, the good example is um, good AI, strong AI. Um, we have no good idea how close we are to strong AI. Um, you know, some experts think it's anywhere from five to 10 years away. I think the average when you ask AI experts is 40 to 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so there seems to be a consensus that it's anywhere from five to 100 years away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that transition could be extremely dangerous um, by default without mm-hmm. us thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, like you're saying, if it, we need to, to convince other people that it's not linear, because if it's linear, then we're thousands of years away, right? Yeah. And if it's exponential, then we're decades away. Yeah. And so politically, it, it makes a huge difference which one of those two things is true. And even if we can't predict what exact date, we can say, look, there are existential risks to everyone who's alive today. And that's a really important thing <laughs> to be paying attention to. And even if it's low probability that it's five years or 10 years or 20 years, we need because the risk is so great, we need to be putting some some thought and effort and time into mitigating those risks. So let's say, let's say we hypothetically cross that line. Let's say let's say we create an arbitrary line, and something hypothetically crosses it. Like all of a sudden, 
um, we're able to create bro human brains inside of a bat and those brains start communicating to us because they're all interconnected in a hive mind and so it's artificial intelligence again or, or I mean whatever whatever thing happens like then what then, then you have the public's attention then you have the society's attention so but then it's too late what so, you, so what the hell is the point, point of this by, by the point it's happened it's too late like we need to we need to figure stuff out before it happens and we need to know who's working on what it can't come out of some secret lab all of a sudden. Do you realize how difficult of a problem this is? Like you're, tr you're, you're, you're. We're trying to, fi we're trying to make humanity proactive for the first time in its existence about something. Yeah, humanity historically is very uh, reactive. I mean, just look at climate change. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're, we're still not being proactive about that. No, we're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> fucked still. Like you know, we but, don't really. With that, I mean, what's probably going to happen is so much damage is going to be incurred due to climate change that there's going to be some point at which people have to react, right? So it's the it's it's their wallet. It's you got to hit people where it hurts with the with their money. Yeah. So so maybe you know it, to maybe switch switch topics a little bit. Technological unemployment is the thing we should be talking about because that's the thing that hits people's livelihoods, that hits their wallet. Um, I. I, I, that's a perfect segue because I was trying to bring it back to the, the autom automation in the machine mm -hmm. uh, economy because I think that even before we even start talking about a singularity where we have this intelligent explosion, I think we're we're dealing with something that is already happening that is extremely extremely scary because it's not it's not the the systems that we have to worry about it's the people's reactions to the systems um, and 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 the fact that like this is going to be a losing battle for humanity. Like, if we're trying to continue the status quo the same way we've been living um, for the past 50 years, we're fucked. Like, we can't... I don't know if, I don't know if like, the way we've been living for the past 50 years will be compatible with the uh, in, insane amounts of tools and technologies that are going to become available. Like, your 3D printers. Like, like think about the day when we're going to have a machine that you can that'll come in a box and that box can make any other machine 3d whether it's with a 3d printer any other machine that you might need to do whatever it is that you want like that's like that's coming and that's not and that doesn't require like a super insane amounts of artificial intelligence like that can be that can be anything like that's the holy grail of 3d printing and that hasn't stopped you know it's still gonna keep going yeah, I think even if you don't think there's going to be some singularity moment that, that AI is possible, that will, yeah. even if you don't kind of believe that an intelligence explosion is, is a likely occurrence, there's more near-term stuff that's, that's kind of more pressing. Yeah. And so technological unemployment is, is the big one there, I think, right? Just that automation, robotics, software, um, and basically technology that makes us more efficient uh, takes away jobs from people and historically there's been this long argument running that basically um, sure everyone agrees technology and innovation destroys jobs yeah. but the question is does it also create more than enough jobs to make up for it and consensus among, among economists has been that yeah probably it does um, you know in the last century. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think the issue, again, is the timeline. So um, historically, the rate at which technology replaced jobs ha happened over generations. Mm -hmm. And now it's happening at a sub-generation timeline. That, you know, I could be 20 years old and trained to be a web developer today. Mm -hmm. And or, this happened to me. I was 20 years old, trained to be a web developer. And then, you know, programmers created WordPress and Drupal and Joomla and all of these, um, and uh, Foursquare, four not, uh, not Foursquare. Uh, Squarespace. Squarespace. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that removed those jobs. That whole industry was created and destroyed Holy shit. in less than a decade, basically. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, I had to go do something else. And I saw that happening. I was one of the people creating these automated systems for people so I didn't have to do that work. 
Um, but you knew that's a trippy t-shirt, by the way. It's like tripping me out. <laughs> you got the optical illusion on your t-shirt. <laughs> Swear I'm not on drugs. This, this um, so so, do you? So you did you know that Mark Andreessen isn't doesn't isn't isn't like um, isn't worrying a lot at all about this? Like he said something like. Um, He's looking at over, uh, at this from the the big picture. Like, look, the American economy creates jobs and loses jobs in the hundreds of thousands every month, and those jobs get shuffled yeah. around and shuffled around, and eventually people will always find a place to. I work. understand that argument, but I think it's fundamentally flawed. All right, and the reason is that if we really think that that things are accelerating, um, that you know, it, it used to be that all right. My uh, grandfather was a truck driver, and you know that job existed for a uh, hundred years, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then my my father is you know an engineer. That job's you know probably going to continue to persist in some form or another um, for for a while, right? Um, but then you know I, I I got started. I was in a job that you know came and went very quickly, and at some point. This stuff is going to transition not on decades like it did for web web development, um, but over years, eventually months, eventually days. Yeah, you know the, and you can't retrain people fast enough at a certain point. Like you can retrain someone over ten years, so it's still not a huge problem, and we can still retrain people to do the new jobs that are created. Mm -hmm. But once they come and go, in one or two or three years. You know, what are all of these truck drivers? You know, it's four or five percent of the American workforce. Yeah, millions of people are truck drivers, and yeah. within ten to twenty years, all those jobs could be gone, all of them. There, there was some research um, the UK government did saying that they think thirty-five percent of their jobs will be gone in the next twenty, ten to twenty years. Mm -hmm. And so, so the, the actual UK government, like the actual UK government, did this research on yeah, themselves. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then there, there was another uh, a forum that surveyed uh, executives from the largest, all the largest companies, the 350 largest companies in the world. And together, these companies represent 65% of the global workforce. Um, and what they're talking about is, is numbers you know, essentially that big as well, um, across driving, sales, uh, retail, even things like lawyers. Um, one of the one of the things they were saying is that 40% of the jobs in the legal sector uh, will be gone within the next two decades, and so these aren't just manufacturing jobs; these aren't just labor yeah. jobs, you know, brute labor jobs. Yeah. These are jobs that used to require human minds that no longer require human minds, and a lot of that's just by making the, the human minds more efficient. Right now, you know, it's not human capable, but a lot of the research, like a, a legal analyst does. Can be replaced by something Google can make, yeah. right? And so we're gonna, and that's true in medicine. Um, that's even that's true of programmers. Even programmers aren't safe. One of the good quotes I saw is that um, it was a machine learning talk, and the guy was saying, "Everyone says just start learning programming, but uh, these four algorithms, which have all done the top results across a wide variety of tasks, um, from medical imaging to natural language processing." To machine vision were made by the same guy. Holy shit! <laughs> you know, or not necessarily made by the same guy, but a lot of the, the big breakthroughs were, were done by the same group of people. Wow. And so I think you're going to see ever smaller groups of people do ever more powerful things. That and those powerful things can supply the needs of everyone. If yeah. politics is set up, you know, politically we can get our, our our society set up in the correct way. Think about all the cultures that like. Like where like the mom goes and brags to the other moms, oh my son's a doctor now, or my son's a lawyer, or my son is doing th this or that, and it's like those cultures are gonna collapse because oh well now <laughs> before we even go there, um, like I think I think that of all the AI issues that we can talk about, this is the most pressing, the most tangible, the one that's like. The one that's actually having me freak out the most, um, because I don't know whether 
governments and systems are ready. And in fact, I think they're they're digging their own their own graves. Like um, I don't know if you knew about this um, in China, the government is putting 150 billion dollars into robotics, just robotics. Mm-hmm. That's 150 billion dollars, dude. Like. When when will that ever happen in America at this point? Like it just doesn't seem like there will ever be political will um, to put I mean, that it's, much money. It's here. It's spent in a different way, right? Like like the two systems are set up differently. So True. like, how much money is Amazon putting into robotics? How much money is Google putting into robotics? How much money are all the venture capitalists and out here and on the East Coast, you know, putting putting into robotics? Hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a reasonable. Check. Maybe it's not 150 billion dollars yet, but it, but it's a reasonable percentage of that. Yeah. Um, but you. So the point I was trying to make is like you're the and you made it for me just as well. Actually, um, you see so much investment going on into making these technologies available. Mm-hmm. But then what? You know, when when they start disrupting the jobs and the economies I mean, that, that they're that's, part of. That's the issue, right? It, it seems like um, what happens when a sizable proportion of, of people can't make a living um, and there's no incentive for anyone else to have them make a living either. Um, you know, one of the arguments is that you can't just remove 40% of consumers and have that be okay on producers. Right, like producers still need people to buy things, mm-hmm. and if you, if you don't have people working to get money to buy things, what are you then going to do? Sell, sell it to who? Um, and I I don't know about that. I, I it it could be true that that's the case. In which case, it's even in the best interest of the largest corporations in the world to have some form of mandatory minimum income. Um, and then you know people can then spend that income buying their goods and services. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be just as true that sixty percent of the world could become richer and have more expendable income to buy all kinds of things, while forty percent can afford nothing. And maybe big corporations will thrive just as well under that situation. Um, and revolution is no longer really possible. I, I don't think. Where? Uh, in the West, or, or or probably in other in other ma- like major large countries as well. You know, I think it's not possible in the U.S. It's not possible in Europe because of Egypt. It's probably not possible in Japan or China. Um, Some go for example, Egypt. It would, like, what would happen is something like Egypt, the dictator a junta would take over and just yeah, I don't shut think that down. can happen here. And the longer the time goes on, the less likely that is to happen. Yeah. And that that's something that the masses always had, right? That that if conditions get too bad for everyone, they can rise up and and revolt. That's the whole point of this whole Second Amendment. But thing. we we may be in a situation where people can't make a living. And no one needs them to make a living, no one else who has resources, and they can't do anything about it. In which case, we'll just see an immense amount of suffering. I think that that's sort of the default outcome without some kind of radical political change. Let me think about this. So there's going to... Hmm. Hmm. So you're saying there's going to be nothing that these masses can do to get out of poverty, to get to uh, get themselves out of misery, like because what the game will be rigged for them. Uh, 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 well, well, I'll give you an example. Uh huh. Let's say you're a soldier today. Uh huh. <laughs> okay, for the U.S. Army. Uh huh. Um, in 20 years you won't be, because robots will do that job better. Uh, they'll be cheaper, they'll be more efficient, and importantly, they'll be under absolute control. Yeah. So whoever's actually making the decisions of what the army does will not have defectors. What happened in Egypt is that the army decided that that was going to be a revolution. The people who made up the army said, yes, we agree with the people here. And that's a, that's like a, a safety check, right? Um, but 
when your armies are made up of robots, you don't have that safety check anymore. And when your manufacturing facilities are fully automated to make these things, you know, your workers can't go on strike, right? There's no leverage anymore. So it could be true that the people who have a ton of resources, the people who are in control of these automated manufacturing facilities of, uh, you know, drone armies, essentially, they won't need to care what anyone else does or thinks. And, and so I think that's, that's a dangerous situation. That's a situation that we've never been in before because relative power has never been so, uh, you know, power inequity, inequality has never been so large. Fewer and fewer and fewer people have more and more and more power. You know, like 85 of the world's richest people own half the wealth or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you, it's concentrating more and more and more. Yeah, why? Why is that? Why is it that the, the I think I saw a statistic that like the, uh, the top 10% um, wealth um, increased 74% over the past 15 years. Like, like it's true. Like, what, what is it about power that keeps getting concentrated in that direction? Like, it's almost a was, natural. Has law. it always been that way? Is, or, or can it be slowed down? Can it be distributed? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it are we stuck to this paradigm? I think it's sort of inevitable. I don't know. <clears throat> because, I mean, one of the great equalizers is that we all only have so much time. Yeah. You know, one of the great equalizers is that we can all. We, we can only know so many people. We can only like usefully interact with like about 200 people, 300 people. Um, and so mo no amount of money got you more time or the ability to interact with more people, which has limited it in a lot of ways. But technology has made people more efficient and more powerful, right? So you depend on fewer and fewer external people if you're the one in charge. So like having a cell phone Right versus having to do all physical meetings and travel to different locations. That mean, meant that for someone running some kind of an empire, like a Carnegie, let's say, right, he had to depend on way more people than um, someone like you know Bill Gates might today. He, he can get by with way fewer people yeah. because of the power of technology. And if these few rich people are the first to enhance their own cognition, they're, they're going to get farther ahead even faster. They're going to depend on even fewer people. Love is going to centralize even more, right? Yeah. They're going to be smarter than everyone else. They, you know, historically, I don't think they were smarter than everyone else. They were random people who had some good luck and played their cards right, so some combination of doing things correctly and luck. Yeah. Um, but once they have the money and resources to be the first people to enhance their cognition, yeah. um, you know, that can run away with itself and no one else will ever catch up. Fuck. <laughs> what a dark, dark future it seems like you're painting here. Like, there's... Yeah, there's, I, used, I used to be more of an optimist. Don't be fuck. There's killer AI. Um, there's going to be... Uh, we're going to all end up, like, living Wealth in... Wealth centralization. <coughs> so... Um, unchecked drone armies. Unchecked drone armies. Um... And, and pretty pretty much everyone for themselves at, yeah. the, at that point. And what happens depends very, very, very much on whoever gets to those positions of power. If they happen to believe that everyone should have access to, you know, a good quality of life. Let me ask you this. Maybe things will be great. What if they what, don't happen to believe that. What is a, a universal thing that the whole species can agree on? That you can, like, that we can, like... Let me throw this as an example. Could we say to every rational human out there, like, listen, our goal as a species is pretty simple. Like, all we're trying to do is making sure that we live here on this planet with as little suffering as possible to the most people. Like, that's our goal. Like, that's what we should all yeah, agree, we on. Even agree on. But that's so simple, isn't it? Like I don't know if we can even all agree on that. Like if anyone who doesn't agree on that, like that there's there's something fundamentally 
wrong and I'm not saying something wrong with them but like something wrong that needs to be addressed large portions of Christianity really believed and and somewhat still do believe in suffering as as sort of a as an important thing (laughs) Uh, you know Mother Teresa was one of these who, who thought you know suffering in this world was was something you you had to do as penance, basically, um, and you'd be rewarded with eternal life in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 this suffering was small and tiny and short compared to what people were being promised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it, it, it that kind of thinking resulted in an unimaginable amount of suffering, you know. And and it's because there are fundamental disagreements about the nature of reality. If you don't believe that there's an eternity in heaven, then um, you know moral and um, and kind of sort of objective decision making is different. If you it do is. believe it, then yeah. then it, it then their idea then you know you can sort of discount a lot of stuff that happens yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't think we have any kind of fundamental agreement. It's true. Yeah, it's fundamentally a, like if you think. There's something else besides this life. Then we're, then you're probably going to be like, well, you know, if it doesn't work out at this one, I'll try to go to the next one, and you stay complacent. I think. Or it's something you earn through your suffering. I, I think that's that too. That's a lot of what what was told to people. Well, so 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 if we can't save the species, how do we save ourselves? Like, what's left? Like. Like what are your what is your what is your plan to stay alive for as long as possible? <laughs> Since assuming I, all I think, these different I think scenarios, the best thing to do is to start to organize people who agree with each other that these issues are real, that they're important, that they need to be thought about and looked at, um, and then you know have some sort of an open movement. To be the first one to get there, <laughs> right? Uh, I think the, the more I've thought about it, the more it seems like the only rational thing to do, given um, you know the randomness of the initial people who get there, is to just try to be one of those people, and then to try to also not be bad, and to try to include as many people as possible in that group, so that you know any one person's interests are minimized. Mm-hmm. Sort of collective interest is maximized. Um, so I think stuff like OpenAI, where you know Elon Musk and some other people convinced a bunch of major corporations to put a billion dollars towards open source um, artificial intelligence research. Yeah, I think initiatives like that are really important. Um, you know, open bio, open synthetic bio programs um, like BioBricks. That that's the right kind of thing to be doing. Um, you know, I think it's about, you want the most cutting edge information to be public information. You don't want, um, you know, the most cutting, you don't, you don't want a a well-funded private research lab to be at the forefront because, you know, it's more prone to whatever those people happen to be doing, you know, their mistakes, their ideas versus something large and open source. One, you'll have more brain power, so you should be able to get ahead. Yeah. And two, everyone is open to participate. Everyone sees what's going on. Everyone's looking for problems, and and everyone's thinking about safety. Um, and so I, I think what needs to be done are, are more of those kinds of projects. And I think a, a few very rich people believe that too. Um, but you don't need the permission of the rich to be involved in these things anymore. Like TensorFlow is now available for free from Google. Like That's true. Just, more and more and more. Though money still helps. Yeah. <laughs> yes, money is is nice. True. Um, true. But yeah, everyone can go participate. Everyone can just go learn about synthetic biology. All that information is on the internet. Mm. You know, there are these open movements that people can join up, learn about, and then contribute to. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the best thing that we can do. Because we still have roughly equal brain power. For, yeah, for now. For now. And yeah. so so now is the time, right? Now is the time to be putting effort and resources and thought in, into all these things. With the objective of? Of organizing an open source group to tackle these problems in a safe way that benefits everybody. 
But what about the larger problem of of society's re society's reaction to the the loss of jobs and stuff? Like it it doesn't seem like I can't I for example can't think of maybe actually maybe I can can't but but I can't really think of how impactful it'll be for me to go learn TensorFlow, which is the Google deep learning algorithm framework, and then how that will have an impact on the artificial intelligence economy taking over jobs like. I think the reason why that's still a good, well, so so paired with uh, starting these initiatives, kind of the more political side of things, organizing people, uh, getting people working together, right, focusing on the right issues, um, or changing the laws, right, to change the tax situation, maybe, <laughs> so that, um, you know, taxes on the uber rich can help, uh, you know, fund everyone else to live. That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous, James Laha. How yeah. dare you bring that, you can't I, I think um, the other thing to do while we're all doing that mm -hmm. is to try to grab as much power as possible, um, try to earn as much money as possible, try to gather as much resources, gain as much skills, relevant skills, um, so that we have a greater effect on the outcome of these things. Because that you know these kinds of power you know, uh, monetary power, uh, political power, the power of, of ideas and discourse, you know, all of these need to be taken by people who, who are interested in collaborating rather than competing. Um, and I, I think that's, that's the direction it needs to go, you know, and, or, or, or to convince people who already have those resources to join initiatives like this, which I think many of them, you know, again, they're sort of random people, people who have all, and some of them are interested in this stuff, you know, um, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, uh, you know, the, the, the list is growing over time, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's now is the time to be, to be organizing, I think, mm -hmm. overall. Yeah. Just, it seems like, um, yeah, it seems like this is one of those those subjects that just doesn't seem to be getting that much attention in the mainstream. It seems like it's not easy to grasp these concepts and these things. Like it's just like because yeah, it, it went from like you had a, a regular phone to now you have a smartphone, basically a computer in your pocket, and it and it and it's normalized. You know, like it feels it feels like. It feels like AI is going to be normalized to the point where people won't fear it, even if it's. If it's no, I mean, like voice, like voice, uh, Google Voice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is a perfect example of that. Ten years ago, people thought it was impossible. Twenty years ago, it was in a sci-fi show saying it was three hundred years away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we have it. We basically have a Star Trek computer today. Mm -hmm. You know, or we're, we're almost there. Maybe not quite. Mm -hmm. uh, and and when it happened, no one batted an eye. Yeah. No one no one seemed to think it was all that crazy. Yeah. You know? When when I spoke to a computer and it knew what I said that it answered me back in voice and I hold held the whole thing in my hand. You know, and it cost me like four hundred bucks. You know? Like it, it's it's crazy. Yeah. But because we're we're sort of blind to gradual change none of it seems that way. And if you would have gone and talked to anyone 10 years ago and asked them how long they thought that something like that was going to be, they, they would have said a long time. Mm -hmm. Right? So that, that's the weird thing about how we think linearly and then yet are blind to all the, the change that's happening so quickly. You know? Yeah. I would have... seems normal. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed uh, at the progress of self-driving cars, for example. I didn't think I'd be in one driving at 60 miles an hour on the freeway and all of a sudden you tell her, all of a sudden one day you just are yeah yeah you just are and you're like oh I guess this works it, yeah, yeah terrifyingly <laughs> but it does it does work um yeah I think the whole that's the thing about the whole job thing like it just it's it's, it's terrifying because it's it, it's impending it's almost here um and it doesn't seem like this economy doesn't have the strength for even another recession, let alone something like this. And I think one thing that I um that I want to like further follow up on is on the idea of universal basic income. 
and or the idea of like uh, a mandatory minimum in- income like I think like what are the let, let's talk about it like what are the for example the pros and cons like uh, I think um, there's not strong evidence it would even work for one <laughs> so, so I, I think you know one of the, the counter arguments against because so for, for the four sort of obvious mm-hmm. give everyone enough money to live um, every month by taxing people who are making a lot yeah. Um, large corporations, big businesses, the multinationals, um, and then you know they'll go back and spend that money back at these large corporations, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so you'll at least you know you'll still allow these these big big companies to make money because you're never going to pass laws which prevent them from making money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, like they have too much pull over what the rules are. Um, but there, there might be a way to get that passed where they still benefit, because maybe the argument being you need these people to be spending to keep this whole thing going, otherwise it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that works. The counter argument is that if you give everyone one thousand dollars more a month, let's say, prices will just inflate to match. That that if you if everyone gets exactly the same amount, then there's a sudden flood of of capital that everyone has, and so then you know, you'd see you know home prices in places cheaper than here jump straight up um, from where they are up to the limit of that, right? So mm-hmm. so that things would just rise enough to make that thousand dollars meaningless if you give it to everybody. That's that's the counter. That's that's, but that's a prediction. That's not necessarily what happens. Or is it? Right, is that right? Does and there that are always a few people happen, doing though? experiments. I, I think we don't know for sure, right? E- economics is this very fuzzy thing yeah. that people seem really bad at. Yeah. I mean, everyone in general, including economists. Yeah. Um. So I don't think we really know what would happen. That's just an idea of what might happen. <laughs> But if it if it if it does happen, that would be catastrophic to the whole the whole idea. Like it would just it, it would make it ineffectual, right? Ineffectual. Like it, it would mean that the purchasing power of the people it's supposed to help wouldn't increase. They'd have they'd end up with the same purchasing power due to inflation, and you'd see rapid inflation. And it would just be an, an extra tax burden on the rich, basically. If if it, if it wasn't effectual, it wouldn't affect the poor, but it would affect the rich. Um, I, I, I guess so. I, I don't know the full full implications of that line of reasoning, but that that's one of the big ones I've heard that on the surface seems to make some sense. I can't think of anything else that would really aid, like I mean, the logically thing, aid in this transition. Look at how much money it would take to give everyone a thousand dollars in the U.S. Right. So this is like 330 million people. Yeah, let's let's give it to just 300 million. So what is that like? Three so 3.3 billion is 10. So 330 billion dollars a month wow. to give everyone in the U.S. a thousand dollars. Wow. So like, where where's that money going to come from? You know, and we might not. It, it, we just might not be able to afford it. So then you're looking at something more like um, uh, welfare, right? Um, which I think makes a lot of sense. You know, just make sure people can get food, that they can have health care, and they have a place to live. And anyone making less than X can get those things provided. But even then, if we're talking about 30 to 40% job loss, right? A lot of money. Um, you know, then, then and even if maybe we have 10 to 20% new jobs that are created from new technology. Um, the ratio I was seeing in, in one of the reports was they were saying they would lose 7 million jobs in the U.S. but gain 2 million for a net of 5. So if we're going to lose 40%, um, wow, you know, we might get back about 10% of that. Um, but we still have 30% of people out of work that have to be taken care of. That's still $100 billion a month or whatever. So, who I mean, is, unless it could be done more efficiently. Who, who is talking about this transition that you're paying attention to right now that you think is having, that has good ideas? 
Like, do you can you point figure out? Can you pinpoint smart people who are actually influential right now that are thinking about this exact thing, and you like their ideas? I'd have to get back to you, I guess. That's not a good sign. In in general, <laughs> with with the greater with singularity in general, and the idea is, you know, a lot of the people. Yeah. Um, I think for this podcast, we're gonna stay close to the ground. We're gonna mm-hmm. stay close to the ground to the ground level to where the rubber meets the road. You know. Like super intelligence and like like transcendence and all that other stuff. Like we can touch on it later, mm-hmm. but like it seems like it seems like this is terrifying because no one has a really good answer. And even like the universal basic income, which is the one crutch that I hold on to, isn't even that good of a tool, you know, because it's not a tried and proven one either. Yeah, the good news <clears throat> is you know there are people doing experiments now to see what will happen. Yeah, like uh, um, I think there's one going on in the Netherlands, maybe somewhere in Scandinavia. Yeah, and uh, well, there's a VC who's who's running one. Uh, um, maybe five hundred or Y Combinator. Y Combinator, there you go. Yeah, they're giving um, away free money. So I'm I'm interested to see what the results of that is. Yeah, uh, but they're giving people six thousand dollars a month. That the U.S. <laughs> government could not ever afford six thousand dollars. That's a lot. Yeah. Too. I don't think it would cost that much. If you well, no, no, maybe not six thousand dollars a month. Because one maybe. argument is, if you let's say maybe you less. gave everyone three hundred dollars a month, yeah, you would create a mar- or everyone who makes less than a certain amount, yeah, um, you might create a market to supply everyone's basic needs for yeah. three hundred dollars a month: housing, food, healthcare, yeah, and there'd be competition to grab that market because you you know you can depend on it. Um, Eric, so maybe that's a solution for it. Have a seat. Have a seat. Yeah. You got a couple minutes? Sure. We're finishing up this podcast about uh, shit is about to go down, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the, basically, the pace at which we're able to create jobs won't be able to catch up to the pace that we're, we're going we're gonna to replace them with technology. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like of all the artificial intelligence problems that we can talk about, this is the one that's the most tangible, the one that's right here, right now. And so James and I are trying to like brainstorm, figure out like how the fuck do we keep civilization afloat while this is going on right now. Bless you, Maggie yeah, and Hey, um, are we gonna keep our humanity? Or are we gonna become Daleks? Daleks. <laughs> well, even before that, like when you think about like a forty to thirty percent job loss in a society, like what do you? What do you do as a government? What do you do as a society? It seems like most of the projections are that 30 to 40 percent of all jobs will be gone in 10 to 20 years. (laughs) That's scary. (laughs) And we'll replace probably, of those jobs that are gone, we'll replace maybe 20 percent of them with new jobs. Yeah. So, you know, 25 to 30 percent of all total jobs will go and not come back in 10 to 20 years. Become a programmer if you're not a programmer yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's one place to start. Right? Even programmers right. are getting automated. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But they're the they're ones automating the automation. Yeah. So yeah. Become programmers, an engineers, artists. That's what one of my, my CTO believes, Jack. He's like, he's an elitist like that. Like, he extremely believes 100% that he you have to be a programmer in the future. Like, there's nothing. There's you, nothing left. Maybe massage therapist. <laughs> Programmers and massage therapists. Because I will never accept. But robotic, robotic massage therapy will will probably be great. So <laughs> no, it there like it turns into the Terminator and like they start peeling your skin off. People will start Next thing you know, you're getting anally probed by your massage. You know, your robot massage machine. And you're like, I didn't pay for this. I didn't pay for an anal probe. You wanted it. You just didn't accept we, it. We were hooked up to your brain, and we just read into your subconscious mind. We, just, we knew you knew we knew you wanted it. You just didn't want to say yes. Exactly. All right. God, what a crazy future we're walking into. Because that's gonna be a service one day, and I'll probably start that business. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll stop. And it'll subconscious like, massages for every robot. Massage. You've run out of your mandatory minimum allotment of anal probing. <laughs> Come back 
in one month where <laughs> government supplied allotment of anal probing will <laughs> refill itself. <laughs> it seems like the taste buds that were artificially implanted inside of your rectum are no longer have long have gone stale. We have to give them some time to replenish. <laughs> uh, frankly, frankly, that is another Silicon Valley business. We can artificially put taste buds inside of people's anuses, rectums, and so that they can taste stuff going in. There's probably like some sort of extraterrestrial life form. AN has that. We got VR, AR, and AN. Anutopia. Anutopia, dude. That's another Burning Man camp. You gotta, you, gotta, <laughs> you gotta coin that. That's a good one. Sorry if we totally changed. No, we needed this. We needed this because we were going straight uh, into the pits of hell. Like, yeah. like That's what we were going, James and I. are like, all right, James. Yeah. Let's, Over the last five years, I've gotten more and more pessimistic about uh, the future. Yeah. So there's, uh, you should talk to this guy that was uh, the main speaker at the Neuro Gaming Conference last year. Not this year. But he's the uh, one of the lead AI uh, researchers at IBM. The What's one. his name? I don't remember his name. I'd have to look it up. But he was one of the main speakers at NeuroGaming. So if you look up NeuroGaming like speakers from 2015, you could find it. And he was he was brought on to the the, um, the whole conference as like one of the most like knowledgeable people in the world on like AI and the future. Yeah. And unfortunately. He's extremely pessimistic. Yeah. Like they had one guy that was super positive. Yeah. And then they had uh, the one of the women who's I think the uh, she's also she, she was at some other AI company and she was more positive like the optimist. But yeah, he's like we're fucked pretty much. So I'd be curious to. Like, you would probably love to talk to him honestly. What was the argument for the positive person? What would they say? Well, she was coming from like putting emotions into AI and trying to like basically make them more human-like. That's some of the riskiest stuff though, from like what the movies can do. <laughs> right, yeah, because then yeah. they like get their own thoughts and feelings and they like logically... Then they get mad about being enslaved because, you know, that's what's going to happen if you give them emotions yeah, and make conscious. them keep working for you. Right. I think the, the best outcome will be if we can have a large, open, decentralized initiative for uh, cognitive enhancement. So we start enhancing ourselves rather than writing software that will replace us for things right. or, or could, could compete with us. <laughs> right. Um, and instead, we just keep, keep making ourselves smarter yeah. in an open way so everyone can benefit from it. Reading. I think, I don't remember who told me about this book, but there's a short story about this woman. Uh, maybe it was you, but she basically... It's a story about this woman who's kind of like um, skeptical about like technology to enhance yourself, basically. And her her kids, and this is like maybe 10, 20 years from now, today. Um, and basically this, this augmentation comes out and her kids try to encourage her to get it, which allows, which basically drastically improves your intelligence, it improves all your senses, you mm -hmm. can just start to see things you never would have ever thought of before. Mm -hmm. And um, at first she was just really skeptical, but then she went on this hike where this dude, like, um, where she was up in the mountains, and she almost died. Like, some rocks were coming down, but some guy who had the enhancement sensed it and, like, saved her life. But, and it was because of that, like, enhancement that she survived. Mm -hmm. And so then she started to open her mind. She's like, well, I guess, you know, I'll try it out. And so then she loved it. And she's, like, this very stubborn but forward-thinking innovator, but she, um, and anyway, it turned out that um, they went that route. Like, they, basically, this augmentation just kept getting better and better, and they kept improving it to where the, like, consciousness got to the point of where you're not human anymore. Like, you could remotely, like, become, like, robots and, like, kind of like, like what VR is in some senses, right? Like, you can teleport your mind in some ways to other places. And control over all, all kinds of different proprioception and sensing and yep. yeah. And then there's the movie Her, right, where the robots come to life. But this is a kind of a mix in the sense that, like, in the end, the consciousness has started just becoming higher and higher until they could like instantly teleport and like go through all, you know, like think together all as one. Mm -hmm. And then they started like finding new life forms. Was at the end just to throw in a little sci-fi stuff. Let me. But, 
let me throw some geopolitics at you. Like, if if all of a sudden James came up to you, Eric's dude, last week something woke up. I think my computer is awake. And then you're like, dude, you're tripping. Calm down. And you go to James's house, and like, there it is. It's like it's talking to you. The computer is straight up sentient, and you're not sure what the fuck's going on. But the next day, that thing is even more smart than the day it was before. And then the week after that, that thing is all of a sudden doing things that you could have never imagined. And so all of a sudden, you're China, you're Russia, you're Britain, and you're, you're Canada, whatever country. And you're like, and, and you find out on the news that, th that this kid, this dude, created something insane. Um, that can all of a sudden, it's like the equivalent of the atomic bomb, but for artificial intelligence. And right. this, this person, like, what do you do as a country? Zero base or zero. Like it's um, like ground it's zero. Ground zero, like boom, like you have and it. And it'll just look like any. It'll just look like software until the point at which it surpasses human general intelligence and on improving itself. And so when you create it, you might not even know that it has that potential. What do you do? Right. You're Xi Jinping, the president of China. Well, oh, so we're like, so I have access to like, inf like a lot of things. Like I have access to like nuclear weapons and things yeah. that potentially stop it. Would yeah. you nuke? Would you, you got root access to forty percent of the world's routers? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Would you nuke? Got an army of hackers, an actual mm -hmm. army. Would you nuke James? <laughs> Would you nuke James? Because you found out that like shit, they have it already. Holy fuck! Well, it's I here. Mean, it's definitely a threat to the world and I have to know what kind of a threat it is. Like me as myself, I would try to investigate it as quickly as possible and spend all my resources. Like I know this is the end otherwise, like I know it. So um, I would first step, that's what I do. I like do everything possible to find out what went into it. But it's kind of hard, like either way, you're probably fucked. So you're kind of making a decision on whether, like you're, I don't know what the percentages would be, but it'd be like, you're either gonna all die or you're all gonna live in like utopia or maybe some other options so, so it's you like make some calculation does me you know starting does me initiating violence uh have a higher probability of utopia right and that's and that's a <laughs> or huge risk. or death for everybody right and death like so it's like death for a lot of people versus but death for everybody this is too. another reason why it's really really important that it's all in the open because then, if, if you, you get these Cold War situations, right, if it's they're not, hiding all the information. So they, it might not even be invented yet, but people could think it might be invented, and that would be enough to instigate violence, yep. right? Like, mm -hmm. like extreme violence. Right. And, and that might even be rational. That might even be a rational thing to do. Right. That's, uh, that's the even worse part. All right, James. All right, Mr. Open Software, Open Source Software guy. Let it, let's say, let me put you back in that scenario. All of a sudden, you've been working on this thing uh, with deep learning algorithms, and all of a sudden, something wakes up. Do you alert the world? Do you tell everyone, "Look, everyone, holy shit, holy shit, it's 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 awake, it's 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 here." The whole world or should do you, see it coming if it's properly set up. Or do you hide? It should it. be clear that this is progressing toward that point, and there are discussions going on. Okay, so you don't keep it to yourself. You don't hide. No, it. I think at every point it needs to be the largest group you can assemble to be working on it in the open. That's the safest thing you can do. Okay. And, but the problem with that is that all the information that 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 the open group has access to, closed groups have all that information plus whatever they figure out. Yeah. So they they might be slightly ahead always, and that's what happens all the time, right? Like Microsoft and all, a lot of the biggest companies in the world take mm -hmm. open source. Google's then, a great example. Like, yeah, and then yeah. they close it, and it becomes better because they have fuck tons of money, mm -hmm. and like so. And they'll add their own proprietary piece. Other people haven't figured out, or they've protected. So how do you stop that? Do you just like have a big enough open group that can compete with all the big corporations? Is that possible? You, you in, encourage everyone working in these companies to clandestinely leak information as much as possible. <laughs> okay. So if you have, a, if you can get into the morals of all these people who are also really smart, hopefully have the, their yeah. morals and ethics in place. But as it becomes clearer that this actually is dangerous, you know. You should be able to. It, this is not a gigantic number of people. The world is not that huge when it comes to people who could 
meaningfully contribute to such a project. Right. You know? So those are the people who have to be convinced. And those are probably the people that are on the list, like, already. Yeah, probably. Most, no, more than likely, yeah. Yeah, you're on the list. You're on the list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, we're going to bring things to a close. It seems like we have a picnic slash potluck to attend. Um, Guys, it's been a lot of fun. Eric Strauss, thanks for joining me out of nowhere. Thank you, dude. (laughs) I forgot to introduce you earlier. Um, And then James Baja, and I'm Chris Miranda. Thanks, thanks Thanks for listening. Peace. Awkward, awkward way to say bye.